season and out of season. And of course, that's what we've been doing with Noel and myself these past two weeks, how quickly the mission has gone in. And we're going to keep on to the end, of course. I'm not going to spoil it now. Again, the text is at the back. Woe, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. The last night I was here in preaching, two nights ago I, we turned to the first book of the Bible, and tonight we're going to turn to the last book, the book numbered 66, and it's the book of the Revelation. And we're going to turn to the chapter 3 tonight, Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read from the verse 14 and read down to the verse 22 of the passage. <coughs> Revelation chapter 3 and the verse 14. And here tonight, the word of the Lord. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning, or as it could be read, the beginner of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. May God bless the public reading of his own precious word. Let's seek his face just for a little moment, please, again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for all that has gone before in this gathering tonight. We're thankful, Father, for the singing of the old hymns of faith, both as a congregation and as our sister uh, utilize the gift that God has given to her to bring them to, her, to us in gospel song. I thank you for the reading of thy word. What great store is set by even the reading of God's word. And now our Father, the hour has come for the preaching of the same. And the need of the hour is that the preacher will know that powerful and gracious infilling of the Spirit of God. Remember any who are gathered with us here tonight 
in the church building or outside, Lord, through the social media, who are still unsaved. Lord, we are desire tonight, in accordance with the great heart of God, is that they would be converted and brought to Christ. Restore the backslidden, the cold of heart, and remember us, Lord, as your own people, that there be a little reviving in the midst of the years. The good hand of the Lord graciously upon us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's the words of verse 20 tonight that we want to think about uh, in the moments that are left to us in the gallery. Uh, the words of verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. The words of our text were written first and foremost to a liberal church congregation, the church that was situated in the ancient city of Laodicea, and which today would be found in modern-day Turkey. There was a number of letters written to individual congregations. And if you were alive back in A.D. 90, that's asking you to go back quite a bit, but if you were alive around that time, and in this region, you could walk into this church and make an allowance, of course, for culture and time, but you would find a pew, and you could sit down, you would lift, I would imagine, a hymn book, and you would certainly hear a preacher preach from the Bible. And outwardly, everything might appear to be very orthodox and to be very attractive, especially to a visitor. But when you read this letter, which was written by Christ himself, the one who is called in verse 14, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the architect, as it can be translated, the beginner of the creation of God. Then you notice that this church, far from being a healthy church and a spiritual church as they supposed they were, was actually a backslidden church. Not necessarily everyone in it, but certainly many and most of them enough to justify the sending of this letter. Uh, this letter. And our text here, you'll notice, posits Christ not even on the periphery of the church, but uh, he was not even in the periphery, never mind the center, but he is very much on the outside. I stand at the door and knock. And I'm putting to you tonight, I, I think I'm on safe ground to say that this was inexcusable. Inexcusable. And therefore, the congregation as a group of people were addressed by Christ in the text. But our text tonight has been a happy hunting ground for gospel preachers as well. Even the most reformed and Calvinistic of preachers have turned to this text and used it in evangelism. And again, if you were to go to the standard commentaries that are readily available on the internet and look at the various sermons that have been preached, you've Matthew Henry, perhaps the best known, 
Matthew, Poole, coming a little later, Albert, Barnes, Murray, McShane, they have all turned to this passage of the Bible. Uh, the Puritan John Flavel actually wrote a large treatise on this text and addressed it to the unsaved and to the sinner. Mr. Hendrickson, one of the more moderns, he says it emphasizes the doctrine of man's conversion where the sinner is active. I don't know if Mr. Calvin himself, I'm very fond of Calvin's commentaries and his writings, I don't know if he ever referenced Revelation 3 and verse 20, but he did speak concerning the wicked rejecting the overtures of Christ. And he concluded with these words, and I quote, Thus also in the present day, when Christ knocks at our door, we ought to go out immediately to meet him, lest he be wearied by our slothfulness and withdraw from us. We do no despite, therefore, to the Scripture to give these words a gospel application. And dear unsaved one in the gathering, Christ is presently. The fact that ye are unsaved, Christ is outside the door of your heart. And no matter what feelings you might have, I say that feelings can be very misleading. These people felt that all was well when it was anything but. The Word of God cannot mislead you. The Lord Jesus says to you tonight, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's three things that we want to see about this door. I think we'll open up our passage here or our verse to us. The first thing that we have, number one, very simply, we have the door closed. The door closed. You see, if the door was open, then the Lord Jesus would come in. You came to the church tonight, the door was open. It was unlocked, and you felt free to come in to the gallery. But here the Lord has come to the door of your heart, and he finds the door is shut. He has been denied a mission. And there he is, he's at the handle, as it were, on the outside, and he's faced with a solid door. And this solid door is closed. And there could be any one of a number of locks on the door. Often there is more than one, but only one, as we know, is sufficient to close the door and to keep it closed. The first lock that I notice here is the lock of sin. Sin, the Bible says, your sins and your iniquities have separated you. They have put a door between you and Christ. Not only individual sins, of which we commit many every single day, but the fact tonight that we are all sinners. By nature, the heart of man is sold out to sin. The nature of man is sinful nature. Our hearts, the Bible says, are wicked, deceitful above all things, indeed, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
and they're pumping out sewer-like individual sins. There's another dwells inside the heart, or where when sin reigns in the heart. It's not Christ. And the Bible says that the heart against Christ is barred. Barred because of sin. But then it's also barred by unbelief. And unbelief in the Bible is always set forth as the chief sin. It's always seen ultimately as the damning sin, all sin damned. But unbelief is the ultimate sin. The Bible says, He that believeth not is condemned already. Condemned already. And it was very much so here in Laodicea, even among people who should have known better. Look there at what they thought. Verse 17, we were talking about feelings. Thou sayest, so not only had they thought, but they were now speaking, they were giving uh, voice to their thoughts. Thou sayest, as a people, that's in the singular, I am rich, I am increased with goods, and I have need, I have need of nothing. But what was the reality? What does the Lord say? The Lord says, again, verse 17, you're not even aware. Thou knowest not. He says uh, there, thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That can be a very hard pill the unsaved to swallow. That's not, maybe you said, I didn't come to listen to that. No, but that's what the book says. You come to hear the Word of God tonight. And that's what the Word of God says of an unsaved man. It's as God saves you. And maybe you don't believe that tonight. Well, that unbelief that you have concerning the Word of God is barring the door against Christ. As long as you are in your unbelief, Christ will not enter into your heart. And then there's something else. There's, a, there's pride. Pride bars the door. This was the original sin, you know, even before Adam fell. Adam, of course, was the first man, but he wasn't the first creature. And there was one created before Adam who sinned against God. That was the devil. And the Bible says of pride that pride led to the condemnation of the devil. And without any just reason, the guilty bankrupt sinner. And really we ought to be holding our head down in absolute burning shame that the fact that we are sinners, the sinner's full of pride. He's full of pride. But oh, how humbling is the gospel. Salvation is described as God lifting the beggar, lifting the beggar from the dunghill. Oh, there's a twofold description there. Again, it fits every one of us. And if we are going to be saved, if we're going to be right with God, then we need to take the sinner's place in order to be saved. And the carnal, wicked heart that is full of pride, full of unbelief, is holding us back. And therefore, this is, or these are the bars on the door. There's more bars in the door. Oh, this door's well barred tonight. 
There's believing alternative ways of salvation. They put bars in the door. See, no man lives in a vacuum. Man must, must believe something, even atheism, skepticism, is a religion. And often sinners look for, and they embrace non-biblical uh, and religious views and ways of salvation. And there's many alternatives out there that the world and the devil is offering to you. There are those self-help schemes out there in various forms. There's the abuse of the sacraments in Christianity. And man will trust anything and seek anything except for the new birth so necessary to enter into the kingdom of God. There's another bar in this door. Oh, it's like a bank fault, isn't it? There's the fear of man. The fear of man. You see, as the Holy Spirit works in men's hearts, stripping away that self-reliance, impressing gospel truths upon the heart, the sinner then realizes, and I hope that you will realize, that a decision needs to be made. Here we have the Lord. He's outside the heart. What am I going to do about it? And the sinner, uh, the sinner will often uh, leave the... The, the sinner, uh, he will let the, the, the devil distract him with this thought. If I get saved, what will my family and what will my friends say? The peer pressure. There's a thought of being scorned. There's a thought of being rejected. And that's why the Lord Jesus said on one occasion, if any man come to me and hate not, and they hate not his family, and the word there, hate not, I, I think certainly on this occasion, means to love less. It's a comparative term. He doesn't want you to be full of malice and try and kill them or something like that. But he says, if any man come to me and hate not, that is love not less, his family, yea, and his life also, he cannot be my disciple. See, the Lord saying, my son, give me thine heart. He wants to come into your heart. It's a call to put God at the top of the list despite all uh, family or business opposition. The fear of man is one of these bars, and the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man solves no problems. The fear of man creates fresh problems. And the biggest problem at all is that it keeps the Savior outside the door of your heart. There's another bar. You wonder where they get to find the room to put the bars in these doors, don't you? It's procrastination. The delaying. The unwarranted, the unwise delay. The Bible, the Bible warns against it. Again and again, the Bible comes like waves of the sea. It is time to seek the Lord. Hosea 10 and 12. Seek ye the Lord, it says, while he is to be found Call upon him while he is near. Behold, it says, 2 Corinthians, Behold, now is the accepted time. And behold, this is Bible, Behold, now is the day of salvation. And there's that most stringent warning in the Bible where it says, He that being often reproved, who hardeneth his neck, shall 
suddenly be destroyed and not without remedy. You see, every passing door keeps the door shut. I have knocked some doors, front doors, of course, in our evangelism, all our missions are preceded by a week of door-to-door evangelism, and particularly in the countryside, maybe more so than in the towns, but I have knocked on front doors that haven't been opened in years. Haven't been opened in years. You can almost see the moss growing down, and it's evident. You see the cobwebs. You can see the, the, the dirt on the door. The door's sealed by the dirt. Even if somebody was able to unlock the door, there would be some pushing and some shoving on my side to get that door, hardened door opened. The hinges, the hinges are, are rusted. It's a picture. It's a picture of the sinner's heart. Mr. Newton wrote those great words. He said, an evil long, says you tonight, an evil long I took the light, unawed by shame or fear. Tonight, he says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. That's the door shut. But then with something else in our text here, back to verse 20 again, you have the door knocked. That's the second point. We have the door shut by sin and all those different things. But now we have the door knocked. And who's knocking at the door? You could be sitting at home and you say, there's a knock at the door. What's the next thing? Who is it? That's the question they ask. I wonder who it is. You hear the knock at the door. Who's knocking at the door of your heart? It's the Son of God. It's the Son of God. It's Christ Himself. It's Christ Himself. Look how He introduced Himself afresh to John. In chapter 1 there, verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, and he said unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Do you see this hand that knocks the door of your heart? It's a nail-pierced hand. You remember the great prophetic uh, Psalm 22? It says, They pierced my hands, and they pierced my feet. And why was this hand pierced? Because this was the hand that was nailed to the cross of Calvary. And on the cross, the one who stands at the door of your heart, he's outside because of your unbelief, your stubbornness of heart, your fear of man, and all these things. He died to pay the price of your redemption. To put away sin, your sin, by the sacrifice of himself. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And surely the sight of the Son of God on the cross as our sin bearer, it demands tonight it utterly demands that we take sin seriously because here is the evidence that God takes it seriously. God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. It's a loud knock. It has to be a loud knock. The sinner is deaf to the gospel call. Do we not sing those words often? O sinner, O sinner, thine ears have been deaf to His call. 
and thine eyes to his glory being dim. It's a loud knock. He knocked through gospel, gospel preaching, sometimes of the most stringent kind. And you ought to thank God tonight for the faithful, honest, conscious gospel preaching. You ought to thank God that you're under, even though you might be very uncomfortable. And even though the carnal heart is rising up against it, it's a mercy from God when you hear the gospel preached very, very clearly and very, very plainly. He knocks through Christian testimony. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have a work friend. There's somebody in your street, somebody you know, and they have been witnessing to you because that's what the Christian is, you know a witness for Christ, a testimony that Jesus saves. And you have heard by lip, maybe even better, you have seen the evidence of a Christian life. And this is the Lord speaking to you. This is the Lord saying, you can have this too if you let me come into your heart. I'm standing outside, but I am knocking at the door. Then you have providence. That's a good old-fashioned word. I like that word, providence. It's God governing all the actions of His creatures. It's God bringing things to pass. It's events that channel thoughts away from the distraction and they focus the, your thoughts on the great issues of eternity. And usually, again, because of man's depravity, sometimes it's usually the negative things. It's sickness. You let aside. You're lying in a bed, maybe a hospital bed. Oh, you have all the time in the world, days are wearisome. You have all the time to think, and often on a hospital bed, it's only then that people begin to think about God. Maybe it's financial loss, the loss of a job. But you know the most potent of all, perhaps the most cruel of all, but the most potent of all is death. The death of a loved one. A dear one in glory now. And you're left behind and you're thinking. You, you've got to think about death. One reason, in my opinion, why some funerals, you know, forgo the hymns and the preaching. And they introduce even comedy into it. I've heard of weddings, or funerals, I should say. Not weddings, funerals. And uh, you wonder. You wonder. People standing up, giving a eulogy, like the best man's speech. You think it was a wedding? That's what put it into my mind when I said wedding. But you know the whole idea of that is, I, I think, the dead and the knock. The dead and the knock on the door. I see the satanic hand. The Bible says, when the word is preached, then cometh the evil one to pluck away the good seed. And if he can keep the good seed from being sown, he doesn't have to pluck it away. He constantly knocks. Oh, and thank God, thank God he does. Because imagine we had only one opportunity to be saved. You only hear the gospel once. You take it, you're saved, you leave it, you'll never be saved again. Imagine that happened. Imagine that happened. How many of us would be saved? But the Bible says our Savior is loving, he's patient. 
Matthew 23, how often he says, how often, again and again and again, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but ye, here's the problem, ye would not. How often he said, in effect, I knocked at the door. The hymn writer wrote the words, he says, gently and long did he plead with my soul, calling for me, for me. They're kind knocks. Yes, they might be loud, but they're kind. It's not the intimidating knock of the bailiff. There's many a soul waiting out there, and there's a knock comes to the door. They're deep in debt. It's the bailiff has come. And they dread the thought of the knock at the door. These are kindly knocks. These are the knocks of a great benefactor, the one who would save you and wash away your sin. And then thirdly here, lastly, we have the door opened, door shut, door knocked, the door opened. If any man, it says there, hears my voice, you hear it through, the preaching and so on, whatever way, and you open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. What's the purpose of the knock? The purpose of the knock is that you would be saved. The Bible says he came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, in this gospel message, we must put emphasis here on man's responsibility, man's conversion. And the Bible says, except you be converted and become as a little child, you shall in no ways enter into the kingdom of God. So that's where we're putting the emphasis. That's where our text leads us tonight. The door, the door is opened by faith. We have already seen how unbelief has closed the door and keeps it closed, resists the calls of the gospel. But what does faith do? Faith opens the door. Remember the cry of the Philippian jailer? He says, what must I do to be saved? That's bring that into the text. What must I do to get Christ into my heart? Believe. The word believe means have faith. It means to trust. It means to lay hold upon. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the word. Thou shalt be saved. Are you say, are these promises for me? What does the text say? If any man, if any man open the door and come open the door, I will come in. It's opened by faith. It's opened by repentance. The word repentance is used there in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke, I chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent, repent. You see, the Bible says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's the whole Christ you need tonight. And you receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. I don't put a difference between the two there. It's the whole Christ that we're preaching tonight. And the whole Christ, all the glories of his person, he will come in and he will sup with you. You know what that means? That's reconciliation. That's reconciliation. The prodigal son, he was away from the father's house, and he ran home. What was the first thing they did? He says, kill the fatted calf. 
That was an indication to this young prodigal that his father forgiven. He was reconciled. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me as his child. Why should I longer fear? There's reconciliation. There's liberty. There's fellowship. You're sitting around the table. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed. They can't sit around a table and have supper together if a row's going to break out. If there's going to be harsh words and fighting. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, He comes in and we sup the one with the other. And this is a forerunner. Verse 20, of the marriage supper of the Lamb, when all the saints of God will gather in heaven and will sit down, they'll come from the east and from the west, the north and the south, and they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great patriarchs of faith, in the kingdom of heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You want to be there. Because if you're not there, as we heard last night, you'll be lost forever. We say tonight two ways, this night before you lie. And you, the choice, must make. The one leads upward to the sky, but the other to the lake. The house is fast filling. There is yet room to spare. Not a seat will be empty. Will you be there? If he's outside the door of your heart, you'll not be there. And one day you'll knock no more. And he'll leave you alone in your darkness to dwell in sight of the heavenly shore. Ask amen. Just where you're sitting in your seat, just you lift up your voice or your heart unto him. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. And you mean that with all your heart. It's not a formula. It's a prayer of an, an awakened, anxious soul who wants to get this matter sorted. Tell him you're the sinner Jesus came to save. And he'll save you if you receive him. Because that's what our text says. Who spoke these words? The faithful and the true witness. May God draw you to himself and may you know the joy of his salvation. We're going to close just by singing uh, some verses of 289. It's 289. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. We'll just sing the first three verses of it and then the meeting will be over.